Welcome to the Good Book Club podcast, where we make all our book club meetings and bonus events available for listeners to enjoy. In this bonus event episode, we have a fascinating discussion with the wonderful, multiple award-winning author, Lorelai Kay, about her book, From Mormon to Mermaid, One Woman's Voyage from Oppression to Freedom. Lorelai shares stories from her life, discusses her faith journey, and even reads a passage from her book. We absolutely loved getting to know Lorelai better and know you will too. She's a bright, vivacious, energetic person who is full of life, a true mermaid. This bonus event was held on Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Good Book Club bonus event. And as you can see on our slide here, it actually says, welcome mer members. (laughs) because we have an amazing, amazing person on with us tonight who has written a book that has a lot to do with mermaids that we're going to talk about. So this is our bonus event. It is Tuesday night. It's May 2nd, 7 p.m. And we're just all very excited to be here. Let's move to our next slide. Awesome. All right. So tonight we are going to meet with Lorelai Kay. And she has written a wonderful award-winning book. Can we take it back to the slide right before so we can start? There you go. She's written an incredible book called From Mormon to Mermaid, One Woman's Voyage from Oppression to Freedom. And this book has received several awards. It seems like through the years even, and very recently, and Lorelai can tell us more about that, um, just recently another award. So people are just loving this. It was published uh, several years ago, but people are just loving reading this. So we have the amazing Lorelai Kay here with us tonight, and I'm going to read her bio very briefly, and then we will just dive right in. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. Lorelai Kay. A mermaid at heart, Lorelai Kay is the author of the multi-award winning memoir, From Mormon to Mermaid, One Woman's Voyage from Oppression to Freedom. Lorelai grew up in Salt Lake City in a faithful Latter-day Saint home. She attended Brigham Young University and was sealed to her husband for time and all eternity in the Los Angeles Temple. Lorelai's transformation began when her bishop called her to teach gospel doctrine, the scripture class for adults, which included the Bible, Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants, which is church history. Like anything else her bishop asked her to do, she put her whole heart and soul into it. As she continued to study and pray, she began to realize the depths of problems and complications in Mormon doctrine and history. And that is when all halibut broke loose. (laughs) Welcome, Lorelai. And we can lose the slide and go to the grid now so that we can all talk. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining with us tonight, Lorelai. This is just going to be so fun. I have to say that the last line of your bio, All Halibut Broke Loose, pretty much sets the tone for the whole book. Um, It's all through the lens of mermaid dumb. Is that how we should call it? (laughs) It's just wonderful. And I think our first question for Lorelai is, can you tell us a little bit about how you got your unusual name because it's absolutely beautiful and it has an important history and everything to do with your book. So why don't you tell us how you got your name? Okay. Well, when my father was serving in the army in world war II, he was, he was stationed in Italy. And while there, he heard the story of the Lorelei, the mermaid that purchased in the, in the river Rhine in Germany. So I guess it's kind of famous more there than here probably. And so once he came home, Nine months later, he named his firstborn Lorelai. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that came about. And when I was a when I was a kid, I was embarrassed about that name because oh my gosh, have you seen those mermaids, those half naked women? Well, I was a very uh, stalwart little Mormon girl, and that was just very embarrassing to be named after a mermaid. So I was quite embarrassed but as I got older I finally decided to embrace my mermaid heritage especially when I when I wrote this book so I tapped into it and used a, uh analogy of mermaid all the way th- all the way through the book to kind of get it all to hang together that was <laughs> yeah, probably free little mermaid uh Disney's little mermaid otherwise you'd have oh, been yeah. thrilled to be named after a mermaid probably <laughs> that's true now mermaids are a really big deal but it's a little <laughs> yeah yeah so so what changed yeah what what made you become a writer 
Well, my father was always uh, a writer. He sat me down and helped me with my first poem, and that's when I was hooked. Uh, he actually wrote a book on the Book of Mormon. Uh, he was quite a, in our family's eyes at least, quite a theologian, scholar of Mormon history, of doctrinal history, and was always writing and uh, working on projects. And I always considered myself a writer, but I hadn't really done that much with it, although I did attend BYU on a scholarship in journalism and enjoyed those writing classes. So how did that turn how did that turn into this book? Uh, oh, I, I this mean, book, you, yes. <laughs> this is is this your first attempt at writing or were you doing things prior to this and then you decided I've got to do a, a book? Well, I was at a resort once when I was uh, single, obviously that temple marriage time all eternity kind of <laughs> washed away, shall we say. <laughs> so uh, while I was single, after I became single, I was went to some resorts and a lot of people that were very interested in the, the very unique doctrines in the Mormon church. They were quite, what is the word? Stupefied and enthralled. And so I kind of got a reputation as I attended more and more and got to meet more friends there. Uh, tell us about this. Tell us about that. And then one day, one of the guys said to me, you should write a book and call it From Mormonism to Mermaidism. And we all kind of laughed. But, you know, I guess it kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And uh, I started writing it, but it took it was 10 years in the writing. I say 10 years in the writing, 50 years in the living. <laughs> the funny thing was I had a real trouble with the title because when he said Mormonism to mermaidism, well, that doesn't quite work, does it? So I called it for quite a while. It was called A Wave Washes Up. And I belong to the writers club here in the high desert. And in the critique group, one of the members said one day, you know, Lorelai, you should really reconsider the name of your book, the title, because people won't know what a wave washes up is about. And I thought, what will I call it? What will I call it? And here it was staring me in the face all the time, just what he had said, except shorting it from Mormonism to Mermanism, from Mormon to Mermaid. And once I realized that was the name and it was a very good change. So I'm very happy well, that's the name of the book because then I use the theme of uh, an analogy of mermaid all the way through the book to hold it together. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. It is wonderful how everything ties together and in just a, in a fluid. Look here, I'm using the same kind of <laughs> kind in a very fluid. You gotta way. get hooked. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get hooked. Oh my gosh, it's just gonna be pun after pun all night long. But <laughs> but no, it's it's beautiful the way you weave everything together um, with that theme, and it really does suit you so well and your life. So maybe I think some of us have read the book, some of us haven't read the book yet, but are going to. Maybe you could just sort of briefly tell a little bit about your growing up. And, and then I know you were going to stop on a certain passage and maybe read a little bit to us that was pivotal kind of. So maybe just discuss up to that point. And then if you'd like to read that, and then we can start asking some other questions. But just tell everybody, um, you know, your dad, very active, writing books about the Book of Mormon, very orthodox household. And then there's you, this incredibly enchanting, creative mermaid. <laughs> well, in our house, everything hung on the doctrine of the Mormon church. I mean, it was the way salvation and the afterlife, it was a purpose of being here. It was it was the main thing that our parents could give us. We grew up, although my dad had attended BYU and graduated and was very educated, he hadn't done real well in job wise and we grew up with struggling for struggling for money but it was the gospel the truth was the one thing that he could give his family that my parents could give us and it was the most valuable thing and so to to be to be worthy and to hang on and of course also to get a scholarship to go to BYU because you know so we worked hard in school and we we felt we held our family home evenings and we studied the Book of Mormon and we always had family prayer. Uh, 
being thankful to, to live in the shadow of the temple in Salt Lake City. And my parents were both active. They both taught gospel doctrine at a different time. But kind of followed in that tradition a bit. In fact, when my bishop first asked me to teach gospel doctrine, this course is many years later, and I was a single woman at that time, so it was really a big deal. The first thought was, oh, I can't wait to tell my dad. And then I realized, oh, that's right, because he had just passed away like a year before. And I know that he would have gone on the journey with me. I don't know what what he would have ended up doing with that information, but we were always encouraged to study and learn. And he took the Book of Mormon apart and he'd look at this passage and this passage and try to, you know, make them all fit and work together and come up with uh, interpretations meanings and to get the best insights out, out of it that he could and that was what our family was about that was the purpose of so, our lives Lorelai you were how old at the time you became the gospel doctrine because you went to you went to BYU you you were married in the temple uh, I, I believe if, if I right. remember right and then you had children and you uh, you all the way up till what age were you when when this all happened when you gospel doctor I, I was in my 40s okay yeah so you'd lived a uh, 40 something years all in in the church uh oh yeah time. and yeah. i was really determined to be the best gospel doctrine teacher anyone ever anyone had ever had and i spent about 10 hours a week preparing for my lessons and that was when i was uh i was divorced and i was supporting three children i had a daycare uh a lot of things were going on, but boy, I took the time for that. And when, there, when the course of study was on New Testament, I took a class at the local college on New Testament. When it was on Old Testament, I took a course, course on Old Testament. I used different uh, Bibles and studied the, the footnotes because I found that some New International Version had really some interesting footnotes and good information. But basically, I stayed. I stayed in the scriptures, and I stayed within the information from the church. I didn't get all, you know, anti or anything. Well, all the problems are there already. <laughs> you don't need to go outside. So, yeah, yeah. I stayed within. That's awesome. Did you have a question, Bruce? Yeah, Laura. Like when you were married and working and divorced, was that in Utah or were you down in California? Because I noticed you got married in the L.A. Temple. Originally, we were married in Salt Lake, and that was not in the temple. When my husband had a, my then boyfriend, he had a, a leave from the Air Force, and then he was going to go to Vietnam. And so we made it through his leave, you know, being pure, so difficult. And then he got an, a week's leave at Christmas time. And we thought, oh, my gosh, a whole week. And we have to be so good because, you know, next to murder, sex is next to murder. <laughs> outside of the and so we decided that we were going to get married that week although it couldn't be in the temple and that was devastating and yet the pure <laughs> what can i say so very progressive we, yeah and then when he got <laughs> home, the, era. the only problem was when he got home he says gee i don't want to be married anymore so our problem started right away started right away and then uh, 25 years later, um, I was single. So where did you raise your kids? In in California. Okay. Yeah, in California. Because once he got home from Vietnam, he was transferred out here to George Air Force Base, which isn't there anymore. And then we... Oh, yeah, my, my brother was stationed there. Yeah. Right after Vietnam. Yep. A lot in common. Well, the one thing about your book that I really appreciated, it, I mean, I felt I felt it really did trace the journey of what it is to be a woman in the LDS church in a certain mm -hmm. era, because for those of you that haven't read it, each chapter kind of just covers 
something, a, a milestone or event in a life in the LDS church and her wonderful mermaid take on it. And almost every chapter is like, okay, this happened and it was this, but then there's this other side to it where the church is impacting it in maybe not the most positive way, but you're still forging ahead, right? You're still going, okay, on oh, to the next thing. And you just march true, forward. Yep. If it's true, I mean, that's the most important thing is truth, right? I was right. raised to believe truth. That's exactly what took me out. <laughs> yes. That's so funny. And the other thing that if you haven't looked at the book, what I really appreciate is she has a basically a glossary in the back for someone who would read this book without any knowledge of the LDS church to explain, you know, what is baptism? What is sealing? What is temple marriage? What is, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about why you decided to put that in there? I just think that's the greatest. It's a wonderful resource for anyone. It makes it a very universal book. Well, the footnotes are there because as I was writing the book, I had a friend who was also, uh, I left the church because of the kind of the same reasons and he was writing the book he says the problem is when you write this book people are going to say well this is the way you understood it or your family just wasn't correct in this or this is just mm -hmm. a story he says you really have to footnote everything you have to back up everything you say and make sure the references are right and the one of the first editors I talked to he says well you can't put footnotes in a memo he says either the footnotes have to go or the mermaid theme has to go and I thought well <laughs> excuse me so uh worked with a different editor after that but what I decided to do at first I put the footnotes at the bottom of the page because I wanted to make sure that everything that I said that you know this is what the Mormon church teaches this is what the doctrine is this is what the prophet said this is a scripture that backs this up the Mormon scripture and I put it at the bottom of the page, but it looked too, didn't look friendly. It looked more scholarly. And so <laughs> and so I decided to put it in the back in two appendix, appendix A and appendix B, all the references that go with the different chapters, and then they're footnoted, then they're referenced back to the chapters. That's one thing in the the last the this big, huge award that I just got from it from winning writers, they really uh, commended in their review because they say uh, as they say on as they say on twitter she's got the receipts i back up every claim that i make about the <laughs> it isn't just that you know well this person thought this or we kind of got it wrong and we should have got straightened out by a bishop so no, no this it makes it very universal time. yeah it makes it so that anybody could pick this up and understand like when you say patriarchal right. blessing someone doesn't have to go well that must be something that they do there no there's a description you know many times right out of the handbook of exactly what it is so i i really appreciated that so i think the theme of your book i just see you kind of going from event to event and you just have this very positive attitude but you're also a very critical thinker you're looking at these things going ah, this just doesn't seem you know you're sort of kicking against it in your own way yet as yeah, we all know as a woman in the church in the 60s 70s 80s you couldn't really kick against it too hard but so that's why I think you pulled out a passage <laughs> I mean a little chapter to read maybe now's a good time oh. to read that because this totally is your personality yeah because yeah. you're like I know I should do this I need but I've got anyway Let's let Lorelai read it because this is your personality. I think exactly how you approach things. <laughs> and, and Just it's a so, critical thinker. So covers the book too because it it's yeah. kind of poetic and yeah, you, you disguise things in the in the the mermaid metaphors. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really cool how you did the whole book. Yeah. So you're talking about Landon, the chapter that we're discussing, kicking up your tail, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> All my chapter Even the headings chapter are really heading. kicking up your tail. Our mermaids, okay. yeah. Uh, this is 1972. Shallow, like a puddle of water, is the best way to describe the premarital experience Brian and I have in the joy of knowing nothing about sex. Although we had a high old time fumbling things out. We have lots to learn about all the splashing and sputtering in this new sensual sea called marriage. Sex is our bright spot in a host of marital problems. Brian's conversion to the church, Brian is the name I'm using for my ex-husband, conversion to the church hadn't stuck. Although at first we both accepted callings and intended meetings galore, now he says, whatever I do, it's just not enough. 
Do I expect too much too much from my former altar boy husband? Whatever the case, we really need to kick out those inhib old inhibitions from out of our bedroom, which is just what my Italian husband has in mind when he suggests, you want to do what? I've never heard of such a thing. Could I? Should I? Would I? I hesitate. Mormon rules guard every aspect of our lives. And although I've heard some rumors, I have to be sure what activities must be locked outside our bedroom door. Can I keep my balance in the bedroom without slipping splat off the rock of Mormonism? Since bishops know all the ins and outs of the sexual rules, I make an appointment. Once I'm sitting across from B Bishop Pritchard in his office, my hands clutch each other under his large desk, which stretches wide before us. Its gleaming surface dares me to defile its sanctity with talk of, of such, such intimacy. My question sticks in my throat. Dare I look him in the eyes? A smile flickers across his snow-white hair as he waits. Unwaits. Finally, I just blurted out. Bishop, does God frown on oral sex? My face burns hot. What must he think of me? He hesitates and then leans forward against his desk as his lined face softens. First of all, he says, it's important to please your husband. Oh, you. My hands loosen their grip on each other and relax in my lap. But in the meantime, he continues, you should pray for him to overcome these desires. Mama Mia, two giant lobster claws, click, click, click overhead, pitted one against the other with me smack dab in the middle. One claw hangs over me hissing, do what your man wants. After all, he's the important male. While the other claw chides me, but it's still sinful. And here's the kicker. While you're at it, it's up to you to get him to not want it. Chiseled under the lobster's underbelly is the real problem. Accountability. My husband can be pardoned from enjoying the oral, the oral adventure. He's the guy. But the sin still sticks to me. Instead of enjoying the fireworks, I should pray for God to intervene and douse him with cold water. He enjoys, I pray. Either way, I'm still on my knees. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> when, but when can my waves of passion be whipped into frothy peaks? Between prayers? But if my husband still feels the urge, my prayers have been worthless. Is God even listening to me? Or are my prayers stuck below the popcorn ceiling in our bedroom because I breathe them out by the same bed in which we break the rules? Hardly the questions that open the floodgates for sheet smacking, butt slapping, headboard cracking orgasms. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> anyway, this is the flavor of this entire book. It's just, you know, so whimsically and wonderfully written about real experiences that people go through. And yet, you know, no, seriously, you know, but then with that whole the whole overarching concept of there's this high demand, high control element in your life that's directing everything that you do to the point that you have to go in and, and ask a third party, is it okay? You know, what's what's okay in my in my own life? In, in the my bedroom. Yeah. Life, in the bedroom. Yeah. Exactly. So and but at that you, time you there were going. rules. Yeah. They've, <laughs> there were rules. Uh, yep. Yeah, there were. Yeah. There were absolute rules and there were letters written that said, tell your congregants this if they come in and talk to you. So yeah, yeah that's what I love. You really, it's, it's, a, it's really a history of the different things that have happened that a lot of people now would say, oh, that never happened. Like you say, oh, yeah. Lorelai, and it did happen. And this, this explains it all in a very readable and wonderful way. So, okay, let's go back. Okay. So you're having all these experiences and then you are called to be the gospel doctrine teacher and you're absolutely studying your heart out. And then what happens? <laughs> well, we kind of went over that part <laughs> already. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a big leap from 
talking to that bishop to this other bishop uh yeah 20 years later 30 years later yep. i don't know a long time later and i was really uh feeling very oh righteous to be called what a privilege to be called to be gospel doctrine teacher especially as a single woman but um i always tried to widen people's experiences and interpretations and i got in trouble for that but my bishop would back me up and the sunday school superintendent wasn't very happy he in fact created a second gospel doctrine class so the people that didn't like mine could go into theirs and i thought that's good get those people out of here but we had some really interesting lessons you remember the time when the prophet was on, oh, I should have looked this up. 60 Minutes. Larry King. Or Larry there King. you go. Thank you. Larry King. Yeah. And he made those statements about, well, I really, you know, can get man become God. Well, I really don't know that that's the case. We really don't talk about it. I don't know. I don't know, the prophet says. Well, that week, my gospel doctrine lesson was on following the prophet. And it said, Get some current quotes from the prophet and bring to your class. And I really prayed about that because I thought, oh, this is really, but that's what the manual said to do. And so I did. I brought up, I brought up the interview with Larry, Larry King. And someone said, uh, in fact, it was Sunday school superintendent's wife. He jumps up and says, This isn't right. You shouldn't be talking about this. We were supposed to, you know, be sticking to the scriptures. And I says, when I held up the manual, I says, this is what the manual says for this week. And I read it, read it right out of it. But that's what we're supposed to be talking about. After I was released, one <laughs> woman came up. <laughs> Soon after you said that? <laughs> no, actually, I talked for about four and a half years. Four and a half years. I got away with a lot. I mean, I looking back. <laughs> I really got but I just pushed it as far as I could. A woman said to me afterwards, you know, I always enjoyed your class too much because so much because I always got new insights. <laughs> I thought, well, that was the idea. Because uh the problem with the with the manual is they give the manual and they say, This is a reading assignment from this chapter, this chapter. And then the manual would pick out these three scriptures and say, and this is what it means. But you know, I did this dastardly thing i'd read the whole assignment i read all the scripts that whole chapters that we're supposed to read i didn't think that they thought we would do that and i thought well that's not what the scripture's about that isn't what it what it's about and some of those things i uh, i did share in in the class and some of them i just couldn't but what i lasted moment? a long time <laughs> Yes, if anyone else has a question, let's just go ahead and open it up. I think we've directed it long enough. I think Bruce does. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm i trying to remember. I stepped away when right after my mission. Wasn't it quite unusual for a woman and a single woman to teach gospel doctrine? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. No priesthood authority. I, I've talked to my brother, and he would call me, and he, I said, where are you at? And he says, oh, I'm in the foyer. There's a Relief Society meeting. And they have to have a priesthood holder in the building. And I'm going yes. like, oh, all these 50, 60, and 70-year-old women can't be in a building alone without a guy there supervising them. But he was off on the other side of the building talking on the phone. So it hit me. It hit me <laughs> if they got into I, mischief, he wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, but it hit me that you being a gospel doctrine teacher was kind of unusual. At BYU, I had the, I believe it was the first Book of Mormon teacher that was a woman. She was oh. a department person. And um, she she told us, you know, she was the first woman to teach uh, religion Book of Mormon at BYU, which is just oh. down pablum. But, you know, um, that was very interesting. Yeah, it was unusual. My bishop... I had a good bishop at that time. He thought a lot of me. I thought a lot of him. I'd go to him sometimes with questions. I says, well, what about this? What about this? The manual says I'm supposed to say this means this, but it obviously doesn't. What? A, what and, and he just says, so what are you going to do? 
And I says, I'm not going to teach it. I won't say that the man who says it means something that it doesn't. So I wouldn't teach it. So I would go to him and talk to him about some of the issues. And so he really supported me for a very long time. Four and a half years is a long time. It was, was, a long it, time. was it a particular incident that got you released <laughs> from the teaching position? Or was it just, you know, time? I think it was kind of a buildup. Uh, some of the things that I would point out and some of the new insights that I would bring. One of the the items that came up was, um, oh, don't you love it when something just flies right out of your mind? <laughs> Happens all the time. Oh. <laughs> I've been thinking about the last few minutes if I should share it or not, and then I go to share it again. Think of what it was. Oh, I know. There's a scripture and someone that remembers the scripture better, but there's a scripture that talks in the Bible about this book. And they talk, the church says, this is a book about coming forth of the Book of Mormon. That's what the scripture is. It's a book that's going to come forth and, and we're talking about the Book of Mormon. But when you read the whole thing, the people, they're devastated and they've gone through all this war and they want, they need consolation and advice from their prophet. And I says, it would be like these days if we had huge earthquakes and terror and and we're all holding on to our babies, the ones that are us are alive and go to hear what the prophet says and the advice, what can you tell us to do? You know, where is God and all this? And the prophet says, in 2000 years, there'll be a book. <laughs> You know, that's not what in 2000 years there'll be a book. And how does that help me? How does that help us? So what I said, I said that in the class, but I said, and so obviously there are dual meanings. I had to give church the dual meaning, but that's not what the scripture is about. If you read, if you read the whole thing and every week there was something like that. And I taught for a very long time, though only one time someone did get up and rush out. And actually I was on very solid ground. Then I just happened to mention about multiple gods. I mean, that's no big deal in Mormonism. Everyone's going to become a God. You know, there's multiple gods, Joseph Smith and all the apostles and all the, pro I mean, you know, there's uncle gods. And, well, I didn't say uncle gods and cousin gods, but I did mention multiple gods. And one person got up and says, this is heresy and bolted out and went right down to the bishop's office and says, you got to release that woman. <laughs> She's a heretic. And see, that's just Mormon doctrine, multiple gods. The next week, the bishop came in the class. Well, he talked to me after. He says, he's a new convert. Obviously, the missionary did do a very good Honestly, job. that's not in the discussions. <laughs> yeah. before but meat. Multiple he gods. I've heard the meat yet. <laughs> yeah, you're in the wrong church if you don't believe in multiple gods. But that was, that was the biggest. But the bishop came in the next week and said, you have a very dedicated gospel doctrine teacher and she really studies and what she was saying was correct so he backed me up but but there were there were just a lot of things that um some people were uncomfortable with because i didn't really follow well i followed the manual in fact i followed it as well as i could the manual says at the end Bear your testimony that, you know, the church is true and the gospel and the, the prophet and the bishop. And I got to the point where I just couldn't do that. But I had to, you know, do something. And so I'd bear my testimony at the end and says, brothers and sisters, I encourage you to read the scriptures and study and pray. And I bear my testimony that if you read the scriptures and study and pray, it will change your life. Because it's changed mine. <laughs> Very subtle. I like that. So how long after? Go ahead. I was going to say, so how long after you were released, did you finally just completely step away? Was it pretty instantaneous from all your study? Uh, or? Pretty well. I was pretty, by the time I was released, I was pretty well gone. In fact, a guy that I was dating one night said to me, he says, you know, because we always talked about scriptures. He really liked to talk about scriptures. He helped me a lot with my with my gospel doctrine class. He says, you know, you've got one foot on each two shores and they're moving further apart. You're going to have to make a decision. I burst into tears because I wasn't ready to leave the church, but it wasn't long after that. 
And then I was released and got harder to go. And then I heard about this wonderful woman minister in Riverside, which was an hour away. And she was even a beautiful black woman, which made it almost more tantalizing to me. You know, that was really reaching outside of Mormonism. And I drove an hour each Sunday and attended their services and just really loved it. So, so have, you, have you had coffee or a drink with any of the people that were ever in your Sunday school classes? <laughs> no, they don't really talk to me. <laughs> The only one who does was the one counselor that really helped me when I was going through my divorce. And he had been the stake mission president. And while he was stake mission president, he they baptized more people up here in the high desert than anyone ever had. Well, <laughs> the only problem was before he ever got married, he struggled with male attraction. And the bishop says, but if you marry a good Mormon woman, the God will take the feelings away from you. So he joined the church and God didn't take the feelings away and he got married in the temple and God didn't take the feelings away. And so he likes to say the, the mission president that baptized the most was a very good gay man. And so he now uh, lives more true to who he really is. And we're, we're still in contact. He's in the book. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. All right, anyone else? Anybody chime in? Let's talk to Laurel. Well, I, I'm really interested now in reading this book, mainly because I, I feel like uh, the, the way you describe it, Lorelai, it's, it's like I can actually learn about Mormonism while I'm also learning about your journey. And that yeah. just fascinates me. That really does. I just, uh, I, I, uh, this is very compelling when you describe the book. When I was outlining what I was trying to put in the book, I wanted to talk about as many of the doctrines as I could, but only as they had applied to my life, only when I had a personal story to tell. And But living it for 50 years, everything, even polygamy, even polygamy, because my mother died, my father remarried. Well... You know, in heaven, he, he wouldn't even marry his second wife until he said, do you love Flora, my my mom? And she said yes, because he had talked a lot about her. And then they'd get married because he knew these two women would be together in the afterlife. They'd have to get along, right? I mean, look at me. That did influence our lives. The one thing I almost put in the book that I didn't about that was that then there'd be a... a eternal threesome in heaven but i said maybe that was pushing a little bit too far <laughs> a lot of people think oh. they don't say it but they think it so yeah yikes yeah. Well, that's the, that's that follows perfectly with what i was thinking when i read the book is that you were so brave and so vulnerable to oh. share such intimate things and and to put a fun twist to it and to make it light, sometimes it was just really your breath of fresh air and okay. appreciated um, that kind of intimacy. And in all ways, you know, just your your feelings, it, it, it just really made the book a lovely read. Well, I tried to keep it, it's a story, but the purpose really was to share these things about Mormonism that people don't know. Now, by the time the book was published, a lot of the information was available that hadn't been when I was writing the book. But it doesn't matter because what the book, it still explains it's different to just read, this is the doctrine of the Mormon church. But no, this is how it affects the lives. And I know, Rebecca, you say a certain era, but I don't know that that has changed that much. I think it's, this is the way women are treated in the in the Mormon church. It's not just that era. This is this is Mormonism. This is the hierarchy of, of men making the rules and telling the women what to do and having to ask permission. Yeah, uh, Lynette has her hand up. Hi, yeah, um, I really um, love the parts that you put in about women because, of course, it, it related to my life as well. And I think you're right. I'm not that many years out. And I really felt the hierarchy a lot, the patriarchy. Um, 
But I wanted to ask you a question. Um, I think when you left the church, your parents had already passed on mm-hmm. and you don't really mention your siblings. How did they act when they found that you were out? And a little bit, you mentioned your daughters, but I'd like to hear a little bit more. How did they react okay. when you left? Well, my youngest sister, she's 12 years younger than I, but she had also, she had left by then and she was very supportive when I was writing the book. And I have a brother that I talk about in the book and that struggled with mental illness, which happens at the age when young men go on their missions. A lot of times, you know, schizophrenia, unfortunately. And that's what happened to him. But of course, the the voices that spoke to him were God and lots of promises. And we didn't realize for years that this was a, a problem. We just thought that you know, you're supposed to get revelation, personal revelation, right? Isn't that the whole purpose of Mormonism? So we didn't realize that it was a problem, but it that's a whole nother story. And I'm actually trying to write out an account of that. So he is still in the church and doesn't know, but he's lived in a group home for many years. Right now he's hospitalized in Nevada with... Uh, complications of COVID and I don't think he's going to survive it but it's the only thing he has in his life to hold on to I would never try to tell him the things that I've learned you know and his ward members have been good to him and one man from the ward comes and brings him the sacrament and and you know, what else does he have? He never married, doesn't have children, you know. So my sister and I, we, you know, we we love him and support him and do for all we can. I've been there several times. I'll be going up next week. But no, he doesn't. He knows we're not active. I mean, he kind of gets the idea. He came to my wedding. I paid for him to come on the bus down and he came to the wedding when we we're married, uh, married by a mermaid. <laughs> that That part isn't in the book, actually, is it? No, because the book ended before that, because I didn't, yeah, uh, yeah, we're married by a mermaid. So when we were married by a mermaid, instead of in the Mormon church or the Mormon temple, I think he got a little bit of a clue, <laughs> <laughs> but we've never talked about it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't try. I wouldn't try. It's all he has. What about your children? How- My three, I have three wonderful daughters. My you know, the funny thing about this is that there are so many different reasons to leave the church, and they all have different reasons. And my good friends, uh, two of my good friends, we were in the Relief Society presidency together. <laughs> We've all left. I'm all for different reasons. There's so many reasons to leave. But my daughters, to get back to your question, my oldest daughter, she left because when she was at uh, Utah State, she studied um religion and how it in influences impacts societies and people and she's just completely turned off by all religions because of her studies at utah state my second daughter and and both and she's married and and has two children but doesn't want anything to do with the church or any religion my second daughter she has married and has two children she's in las vegas henderson and she she just kind of moved away she had some good friends when she was a teenager and so that was helpful to her but all the stuff that happened with the gays and what the church um that's really moved her away that's really moved her away. And my youngest daughter, who I really thought, well, she probably left because, you know, she was still a kid at home. By the time I really left, the other two were off to college. And she said to me, I talked to her about once. I said, you know, you probably, I'm sure you left because I left, right? Although I never talked to them about doctrinal things. I just never did. And she says, no, mom, I, I didn't. She says, I never bought it. Even when I was littler, I always thought, well, when I grow up and go to college, I'm not going to go to church, but I'm not going to tell my mom. Okay. Rebecca, uh, are, are you her daughter? I know. I was going to say that. That really resonates, oh. doesn't it? Wow. <laughs> that was me. And I thought that, that's a thought process of a young child. A teenager doesn't think, 
when I go off to college, I, I won't go to church, but I won't tell my mom. A teenager wouldn't care what your mom thought. This was a thought process of a very young child before she was even baptized. You know, I'm, I'm just, I don't, this doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not doing this, but I'm just not going to tell my mommy. <laughs> so she decided that at a very young age. And so, although I don't think any of them have had their names removed, which, you know, so technically they're still on the rolls, but they're not, they're not Mormons. Yeah. Tell us, Lorelai, a little bit about um, in the in the book. You had several examples of where you uh, tried to do things, but you weren't allowed to do them because of your priest because there was no priesthood uh, leadership. <laughs> well, I was on the stake singles rep. <laughs> Once I was single, of course, I was still stake singles rep. And we had family home evenings, of course, once a month. And so at Christmas time, I decided to have family home evening at my house, right? But I decided to really do it upright. You know, I'd have gifts for everyone and have Santa Claus come and they could invite their kids. And so I went to a lot of work. I did a turkey. I had all the food, had all the gifts, had Santa Claus come. It was a very successful, more people attended that family home evening than, well, of course, you know, it's Christmas and Santa Claus coming at the end of the family home evening. We all went caroling at the bishop's house with Santa Claus. We took gifts to their kids. It was really fun. And then months later, months, I got a phone call from one of the, the gals in the single program. And she says, oh, I just got a call from, it was a super high counselor over the singles who didn't have the guts to call me by the way he called her and said you call you call and tell her you call and tell her that she is never to do that again what you tell her she's never to do that again i says why and she says well you were in charge of it and i says well of course i was in charge of it that's why i was so successful <laughs> that's why we've had such a good time and i spent so much time with the house and everything you know getting everything ready the christmas decorations and the food and the gifts and that's a lot of work and she says you can't do it again because a priesthood holder has to be in charge it can't be a woman so in other words, I can do it all. I can clean the house. I can range down. I can buy all the gifts. I never turned a bill in for all the gifts. You know, it's the church. Buy all the gifts, have everyone come, provide the dinner, the whole thing. But before we start, oh, I need a man to say, oh, we want to welcome you here in someone else's, you know, in Lorelai's house. But I want to welcome you here. And at the end, after we've all had such a good time, the man has to say, Okay, we're all glad that you could come. See you next time. Wow. I thought, oh, you don't have to worry about it. I'm never doing it again. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not done. a problem here, sir. No, but that's the same story as my brother being in the church while Relief Society was having a meeting because exactly. yeah. they had to have a man there because a bunch of 50, 60, 70 year old women couldn't be alone in a building by themselves. Yep. But but there were men there, right? It was a single. Oh, there were was, men there, but they weren't but they in charge. Weren't, they weren't in charge. Right. They just weren't. They assigned. weren't in charge. Yeah. I welcomed everyone. Right. I said, "Here's Santa. Here's your gifts. Have the food. I cleaned the house. I cooked the turkey. I did it all." Well, no, would, no, 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 no. A man has to say welcome. Would seem pretty and, obvious. Santa was presiding. If <laughs> 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 I should have told him that. <laughs> and, and that's not the only time that that happened to you. You were shutting down programs right and left just by being you, right? The other uh, story about the speaking, that one got me even yeah. almost more than the women's, that, that was the a women's conference of all things. Yeah, no, tell, tell us about that. Conference. That's uh, not a, woman, oh my a goodness. single conference. That was right. the same by councilman. You know, and what I've learned, you know, there are this type of men in the church and the doctrine supports them. There are good men mm. too. There are but that's you know good people and bad people but the doctrine unfortunately supports if if a man wants to really be a i won't say i think the technic <laughs> the, the, the technical term is asshole I'm trying to think of the mermaid term for that. Show the bitch, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> the doctrine will support him is the problem. But yeah. 
uh, I was asked to speak at a, at a singles conference in Big Bear. They had this big singles conference every year in Big Bear. They rented the, it gone on for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. The church owned the property. It was a big deal. And a woman was in charge of it because couldn't find any men that would do it. So she was in charge every year. And she called me and she says, I'd like you to be a speaker. I hear what a good gospel doctrine teacher you are and how everyone likes your classes. Some of the people from the singles would come and uh, attend my class just because they really liked it. And I says, great. And she says, oh, and by the way, get two priesthood leaders to come with you to speak. Said, okay, no problem. So first I asked the bishop, would you come and speak at our single conference? And of course, I had it all written out on a paper, the time and the date and the directions and everything. And so I'd be happy to. That'd be great. I'll have my counselor take over that Sunday and I'll come and speak. Great. So I thought, who will the second one be? Oh, I know. I'm going to ask the state president. <laughs> and so I asked the state president. He says, oh, I'd be happy to, except my son's going on a mission and we'll be in Utah at, uh, for his... What did, what did they call it again? Farewell, Farewell or, or something like that. Or going that. into the MTC. Yeah. yeah, yeah, MTC. Thank you, thank you. It's been too long. <laughs> it's been too long. And so I can't. So I asked the next counselor, and I had the same thing all prepared. And he said to me, oh, I'd, I'd be happy to accept. And there was a reason that he couldn't family. So then I went to, I thought, well, the high councilman over the singles would really be the person, right? Not knowing that he was the term that we already mentioned. And so... I made an appointment because, of course, you have to make an appointment to talk to these people, right? You have to make an appointment through the secretary. Can I get a time slot that's convenient to me? So I did. And he was just kind of cool about the whole thing. He says, I'll, I'll have to let you know. Okay. Don't take too long. Conference coming up. One Sunday, a couple of weeks later, when my kids were, my daughters were with their dad. And so I'm in the house. Now, walls kind of eke loneliness when my girls are gone and when they're with the ex. But this was after church in, in the afternoon, and I get a call from him. And he says, I want to, oh, my Alexa's going off. He says, I need to tell you that I'm not going to be able to speak at the conference. He says, but I've, I've taken so long because I've debated if I should tell you the reason why. And I thought, What's the reason? I'm going on vacation? He says, no. The reason I'm not going to speak at the conference is because a woman issued the invitation. This oh, for God's sake. This <laughs> we love Karen. She just cranks how she sees it. Yeah, <laughs> she's sorry. Like, that sound you fine. can't make this up, Karen. I'm telling you, you can't make it up. <laughs> you can't. You can't make it up. And he, uh, this has to be handled by the priesthood. And then I said, I was just dumbfounded. And I said, are you telling me that you won't accept this because of my genitalia? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, no, no, no. Oh, well, actually, yes. Actually, yes. Because a woman can't do this. Um, a priesthood has, and, and for as far as, as far as a woman leading this conference, she shouldn't be doing this either. Tell me her name. And I wish I would have had the guts to tell him to go to hell, but I gave him her name. And he uh -huh. said, don't you ask any other priesthood leaders either. Well, my bishop came and, and I spoke and I actually had been taking classes about how to put the scriptures to music because I like putting scriptures to music. And so we performed the music, the scriptures to music. And I gave my wonderful talk and the bishop spoke. But in the meantime, this man uh, actually put an end to the Big Bear Conference. He killed it because a woman was in charge and he was made aware of that because a woman asked him to speak. And he even told me that was the reason, because a woman issued the invitation. And that's not the order of the church. And technically, see, the doctrine will back him up. And after that, the other uh, counselor that I had asked, I ran into him at a, uh, <laughs> sounds like a new hymn, I love it. <laughs> uh, the other counselor that I had asked that at the time had no problem with it until, of course, he had been informed 
you know, how outrageous this was. He was giving me, you know, this stern look. And I actually, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I actually apologized to him. Hmm. But No, but that's, that's emblematic of Mormonism. Mm -hmm. Soup to nuts, you know. And remind us what year that was. It's in the book. You have to read the book and you'll know that's the right. I, I it has remember because I just want to say if it's like 90s, 80s, I was oh, trying no. to remember. Oh, no, it would be. Well, let's see. The Sorry, book ends in 2008, 2003. Right. So I'd probably be in the 90s. That's what I, I that's what I was going to say. This is this is in the 90s. Yeah, this <laughs> this is not the 50s. Ago. This is not yeah. the 40s. Yeah, this is in the 90s, this attitude. Yeah, and he's still, so, yeah, that really. Yeah. And so the Big Bear Conference is no more. I don't Bear know if it's ever been no reinstated, more. if they could get a man that would do it, but uh, I don't. I'm they not. need to find a man with the balls to do it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. No, That's exactly right. On, on ex-Mormon Reddit, there's been discussions of BYU graduates having kind of a reputation, having difficulty working for women. Mm -hmm, for sure. Oh, yeah. And much of my career and, you know, big international company, I worked for a woman. And, you know, she was the best manager and the brightest person I've ever met. And, you know, you come out of BYU and you, you grow up in this environment. Mm -hmm. and you work for people who you've been taught and you've internalized that are less than than you yeah that's that's mm -hmm. an issue and the doctrine uh, is the men do lead and the men do issue callings he was you know if he wanted to get right down to it the doctrine supported him doing that yeah so that's how i was able to shut the conference down yeah lorelei you went from this uh uh where you were getting you know, basically pressured from, you know, from not having your uh, male leadership there or whatever. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, in the book, you, you leave and you, you go off and you're very, ex you, you start exploring the world. You, you really went completely different and you're very open and intimate in the book about your experiences and stuff. How hard was it for you to open up and what, what was it, the, Oh, hell with them uh, that made you open up or were you always this open or what what made you decide I'm this is me and I'm going to put it out there for the world well it was a lot of things of course the first thing was to not wear the garments that was huge I have two friends oh my two friends that were in the Relief Society present with, with me that when they were both leaving one of them actually figured that she would wear the tops because she had a problem with the bottoms, you know, garments are two pieces. And the other friend, she wore the bottoms. <laughs> I said, between you both, you've got it covered, right? And I didn't. But, but I wore, uh, would wear shorts. And I like to wear shorts. I'd never worn shorts. And my daughter would say to me, Mom, <laughs> you're a mother. Why are you wearing those shorts? They're too short. And I says, look. I said, I never wore them when I was 18. I never wore them when I was 28 or 38. I either wore them now or when I'm 80. You pick. <laughs> so, you know you've arrived when you're when your kids are telling you you're wearing them on the That's right. Oh yeah. Mom, <laughs> are you wearing shorts? <laughs> well, I think they look kind of nice. <laughs> so it it was just a step by step and you know, not wearing the garments and wearing shorts and becoming comfortable with uh, making my own decisions for my own life. That's kind of a big deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Karen says, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just so important. I just want to know, why shorts? Why not fins? <laughs> oh, that's good, Karen. I like you. I knew I liked you. <laughs> yeah, she's wonderful. I knew I liked you. <laughs> That's excellent. Do we have any other questions or anything else anybody else would like to ask um, Lorelai? This has just been so I, I just want to say once again, this has been thoroughly entertaining, very enlightening, and I got to make sure I can get this book. I do audiobooks, so 
I oh. really, really want to read it. Yeah, I, I may. I'm considering if I should get it on audio because I know I listen to a lot of audio. Books. Oh, it's not on audio now. It's not. No, oh. not on audio now. So yeah, no. we, we're hoping. And it's not Braille, obviously either. We knew. Uh, we were I'm going, not there yet. For Karen. <laughs> I know there's this gal in Italy that. I says you got to get it translated to Italian. Well, I, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen either. <laughs> wow. But yeah, it, it might be a good thing to get it on audio. Yeah, I think I think there'd be a lot of play there. So, well, if no one else has any other questions, I think I'll ask a last question, and that is, what do you hope overall that anyone who reads your book would gain from this? What would you hope someone would come away with? I think we all, those of us that have read it, you know, we have different reactions and perspectives to it. What do you hope? Well, initially, I guess my hope was to to share some of these things about Mormonism, the, the idiosyncrasies, the, the strange things that Mormons believe that I believed that now I think that originally was, but it kind of morphed into more than that. It kind of morphed into becoming yourself, uh, owning who you are, making your own decisions, being free to be who you are. And I think that impacts us, not just for women, that's men, that's my, my gay friend, that's all kinds of people. We get so caught up in expectations and what we're supposed to do and what how we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live and being strong enough to be who we really are. And claim our and claim ourselves. Embrace your mermaid heritage. Yeah, that's, that's it. We all want to be honorary mermaids. I hope that go. we can because or merman <laughs> or merman or mer people. No, it just embraces freedom, doesn't it? To go yeah. where mm -hmm. you want to go, be who you want to be, just be completely free. And that's why I just I embrace this book and I embrace the mermaidhood. <laughs> That's the message of the whole thing. So, well, we want to thank you just so much for spending some time with us this evening. It was wonderful. Um, let's go to our slides really quickly as we end, and then we'll log off and maybe chat a little bit more off the record. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's right. The, the exciting things happen off the record. So um, we want to remind everybody um, that we do have the Good Book Club podcast in audio format, and this interview and this discussion will be available quite soon. You can find it on any uh, podcast platform, and then you can revisit it or share it with your friends and tell them how amazing this book and how amazing our author today was. So check that out. Um, I also want to remind everybody who's in the book club, our book this month is Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. This is just an amazing book. Everybody that's digging into this, it's incredible. Um, usually we meet on the second Sunday of each month at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, but because of Mother's Day, we've had to move it because we figured we'd have a lot of mothers mad at us or families <laughs> mad at us if we stole their uh, family member for book club. So we will be doing that on the 21st at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. So come read with us. It's extremely fun. And Bruce is going to be leading the discussion. So very exciting. Um, if you are with us today and you're not a part of the Good Book Club and you'd like to be, we have a ton of fun. Um, you can find us on Facebook. That's our logo right there. You can find us on Instagram. You can send me an email personally at thegoodbookclub at mail.com and I'll write you back and tell you how to connect. But we have a lot of fun with book club meetings and bonus meetings and just community. It's a really good time with a lot of really wonderful people. And I think our last slide, oh, second to last slide here. So I, I've been advertising this with a lot of beautiful artwork, you may have noticed. Now, this is one of my favorite ones. Um, it is a mermaid who's reading. I like to think of it as a, a librarian mermaid. But all of these illustrations that I've been advertising that we use in our slides were created by Karen right here, our book club <laughs> member, Karen Banyard. Yes. And she is a beautiful, wonderful artist. And she draws mermaids and all kinds of other things. She has a website right there, morethanmermaids.com. I would oh. encourage everybody to check this out. She is a beautiful, also award-winning artist. One of her drawings and illustrations was chosen as, it was the Braille Christmas card. Is that right, Karen? Yeah. Yep, for the Braille Institution. Yeah, chosen over many, many others. So just beautiful, whimsical, incredible. Um, if you think back to the slides we shared at the beginning, there were some other mermaids, but uh, Karen sent me this card. I have it framed in my office and I just 
absolutely love it. So I would encourage everybody to check out this website. You can buy cards, you can buy drawings and just enjoy this beautiful, beautiful artwork um, as Karin has discovered her own inner mermaid and is expressing that through her gift of art. So can't can't say enough about that. And this picture is when we went and visited Karin and Bruce. You can recognize some of us. We were down there at Christmas time on a book club field trip to see um, Book of Mormon the musical and just had a wonderful time getting to know her better and just lots of fun. So thank you, Karin, for the beautiful illustrations and letting us use them to advertise this evening. So just wonderful. She even did a stained her. glass window with Lorelei. She uh, did a yeah. stained yeah. glass window. That's right. Two of her mermaids are named Lorelei. So just, just wonderful. I'm glad you two. I designed the window. I didn't make it. <laughs> Right, you designed it and it Design became Designed the window, that's <laughs> yeah. right. So yeah, got to get the mermaids together. So awesome. And yeah. I think our last slide is just want to yeah. remind everybody one more time, if you're here in Utah, the book club is going on an overnight field trip to Fremont State Park, where we're going to um, spend uh, two days with Dr. John Lundwell, learning all about cultural astronomy and looking at rock art. It's going to be amazing. So if you want to come, email me, text me, whatever, and a group of us are going down together. So, and I think that's it. And then I think we'll say thank you again to our author. Encourage everyone to get a copy of this book. You can find it on Amazon. And it really is just a beautiful, free, expressive, wonderful experience to read this. So thank you everybody for tuning in tonight. We will say goodbye from the Good Book Club for now. Thank you.